0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Good morning. I wanted to start off as you're turning to Mark chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Mark. And I wanted to start off with a question. And the question is simply this I'm wondering if any of you have experienced something so unbelievable, so awesome so awe-inspiring that it kind of left you kind of lost for words. Like, it was hard to describe, but when someone were to ask you, like, what happened, like, you, you just don't know how to describe it because it's one of those things where it's so unbelievable. In fact, I think many of us can relate to some extent because sometimes when you have a religious experience, it's kind of like that. You see that all throughout the Bible when they encountered God, the Shekinah glory, the actual glory of God, they were covering their faces, they were praying, and they were saying, woe to me. They didn't know how to explain this encounter with God. For some of us, it might have been something that we witnessed out in nature. And those of us who enjoy just being outdoors and seeing, whether it's the northern lights, or maybe it's an incredible sunset or sunrise, or you go off to a mountain somewhere, and it's kind of takes your breath away. When you're in those moments, you come to that realization, there are some things that are very difficult to describe. And all you can say is just, wow. I don't know how many of you heard of the double rainbow guy. Can can I go ahead and uh, ask you to raise your hand if you know who this person is? Okay, good. You don't know. So let me explain this. Around back in January 8th of 2010 so some of you were still very young this is when youtube and a lot of these different videos social medias just started to get a little bit more popular and so here's this guy his his name is paul velasquez and what happened was that he actually witnessed a double rainbow so you see one rainbow but then on top of that rainbow there's another rainbow and as he witnessed this, I mean, this guy was going like, oh my God, look at that, wow, awesome. And it was for three minutes and 24 seconds, that's all he said. Just like how awesome and how great it was. He didn't say much, but it was all out of ooing and aahing and like wowing. And as that video got uploaded, like it took off. So within about five some months and up to now, 2023, it has been viewed over 50 million times. And of course, some people were saying, was he on drugs? Was he high? Some people were saying certain things that were not very beneficial. I don't think I could repeat it here, but they were like, this guy, there is no way that you could look at something of nature like a double rainbow and go that crazy. And so what they did was they actually found him And they began to, of course, business people, they started marketing him. Uh, Snoop Dogg, all right, he even kind of used the auto-tune and began to do a rap. And it was amazing how he just kind of got really popular. So what I wanted to do is I want to show you a video, a couple-minute video, that one of the news outlets actually did of him because no one really knew who this guy was, but they knew who he was and what he did. And so as you're watching this video, it will give you a little bit of a background of him and why he was so amazed at what he saw. Let's watch this together. That is the double rainbow guy. (laughs) And you could Google it and look at it later, the original recording back in 2010. I want to ask you, what are some things in your life that gets you excited or filled with joy? That for three minutes, you could just be like, wow, this is incredible. This is great. Do you have anything like that in your life? I think often when we think about the joy and the excitement and even just pure happiness that we experience in moments, a lot of, us, a lot of it doesn't revolve around us. And sometimes when you eyewitness something that is beyond you, sometimes it does take your breath away because you realize that you had no part in this, but it was all God as he mentioned in the video. I think some of those things are supernatural things that you can't fully explain. There was some kind of intervention that came not within yourself, but outside of yourself. That kind of opened your mind to say there might be a possibility of a God that exists. There are times when we experience things that are beyond our comprehension. And that's why we don't have words to describe them. But one thing that we do know is that it is real. Because we've witnessed it. He witnessed it. It is real and it has made an impact In your life. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain. He was talking about the reality of heaven. It's hard to see this heaven or have this concept of what heaven is going to be like. And this is how he tried to describe it. He says, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of heart we have ever desired anything else. You may have noticed that the book you really love are bound together by a secret thread. You know very well what is in the common quality, is the common quality that makes you love them. Though you cannot put it into words, but most of your friends do not see it at all and often wonder why, liking this, you should also like that. Again, you have stood before some landscape which seems to embody what you have been looking for your whole life or all your life, and then turn to that friend at your side who appears to be seeing what you saw, but at the first words, a gulf yawns between you. And you realize that this landscape means something totally different to him, that he is pursuing an alien vision and cares nothing for the ineffable suggestion by which you are transported, end quote. What C.S. Lewis is trying to say is there are some things that are so beyond you that two people can look at the same thing and you'll get a different response. And that response oftentimes gives us a window to our hearts. What is it that we desire? What is it that we long for? What is it that we crave so badly and so desperately? Those things drive us to try to make sense of the things that we see that are beyond us. In essence, what he's trying to say is that we were created for something that is greater. Something that is bigger than ourselves. And we know this in our hearts because when we see things that are beyond us, it leaves us flabbergasted. Like every year, At this time, around this time, today is Easter Sunday. If there's ever an event in history that changed the world, it would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why today, within a 24-hour period all over the world, people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ will be celebrating and worshiping this Jesus who is not in the grave, but he rose again from the dead. In fact, our faith and belief in Christianity comes down to this one experience in history, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simply, no resurrection, there is no Christianity. That's why when we celebrate Easter, it's a reminder that He rose again from the dead. And because of this fact, now we experience genuine change in our lives, and we live with this eternal hope. So I want to offer to you this one thing that I want us to remember as we leave this place this morning. And I pray that it will give you hope. I pray that it will give you inspiration. I pray that it will challenge some of the things that you're holding on to that might possibly be causing some of the anxiety in your life. Maybe some of the depression that you're going through. Maybe some of the mental struggles that you have. The emotional things that you're wrestling with that I pray that somehow it will give you a glimpse of something that is far greater than you could ever experience in your life. Whether you are a pre-Christian or not a believer yet, or you are a believer, and that it will inspire you to love the things of God and who Jesus Christ is because of what He has done. So the one thing is simply this, that we can experience transformation because of Jesus' resurrection. That we can actually experience transformation as we think about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, the resurrection, that he rose from the dead. I'm going to highlight two things for us here to help us to understand that as we experience transformation, it can only be done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first thing is simply this. It is an irrefutable encounter. That infutable encounter can transform our lives. Let me say it again, that an irrefutable encounter with Jesus Christ can transform our lives. Now, for those of us who might not know what that word means, it just simply means it's hard to deny. You, you, there's no proof or evidence that you could bring forth that will deny the very thing that you, we have encountered. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 and 2. Uh, from chapter 16 in the book of Mark. And as we read this, I'm going to try to take it section by section and try to highlight for us as we understand that when we have this encounter with this Jesus, that it can transform your life and it will transform your life. Listen to what the Word of God says. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now, let me just pause here because I need to set the stage of this last chapter in the book of Mark. You notice that the Sabbath, which is on Saturday, was finished. And now these three women who spent time with Jesus decided to anoint or embalm the body of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross on Friday. But because it was a Sabbath and for the Jewish people, you cannot do any work. Therefore, it was on the early morning of Sunday, they decided to go. Now, it's very important that you notice verse 2. Because we read this and it says that early in the first day of the week, once again, it's Sunday. We see that they brought the oil and spices for for the embalmment or the burial. This is the point that I want you to understand as we start off in this chapter. It clearly shows that they were not expecting Jesus to be resurrected from the dead. This is the most appalling or I guess interesting fact that throughout his time with these people that he was spending time with, he talked about how he was going to die and resurrect from the dead. If you knew that he was going to resurrect from the dead, why would you bring oil and also spices to embalm the body? So you have to understand that these women did not expect that Jesus will be resurrected from the dead. Now the next several verses, what you will notice here is that we'll see this encounter that the women experienced which will transform their lives. Let's read verse 3 and 4 as we continue in this story. This is what it says. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. It's very simple. They were not expecting Jesus to resurrect from the dead. That's why as they were walking towards the tomb, they were talking to one another and said, wait a minute, who's going to roll away this heavy stone? because they needed help from other people to move the stone. And in the midst of talking about who's going to roll the stone away, they look up and what do they see? They see that the stone is already removed from the tomb. Now this is the part that gets interesting. Because once again, nowhere in this story, as we start in chapter 16, do we get this feeling that they were expecting Jesus Christ to resurrect from the dead. So with no expectations of Jesus' resurrection and going there to embalm his body, we notice this is where their encounter happens. And it's irrefutable because it was something they experienced. They saw it with their eyes. They heard it with their ears. They felt it and they experienced it for themselves. Let's go ahead and read verse 5 and 6 and we'll see this a little bit further. It says this. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, where you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment has seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were terrified. So what do we notice here? Well, we see very clearly as we have just read that there was this angel that appeared in the tomb. So the stone was rolled away, so then he, they walked in and they looked, and to the right they see this young man and wearing a white robe, and usually the significance of that is that it's some kind of theophany, or some kind of angelic being. And he tells them, as they were alarmed, do not be alarmed. Now as we look at this, what happens in this encounter with the angel? and I want to highlight this for us, as we talk about this irrefutable encounter, how it can transform your life. The first thing that I want you to notice as this encounter with the angel happened, is that there was an astonishment of Jesus' resurrection. It says that they were astonished. In verse 5c, the word alarm by the angels as they told them not to be alarmed, in different translations it means this. The message translation says they were completely taken aback, astonished. The New Living Translation says the women were shocked. The New American Standard Bible says they were amazed. So here they are with no expectation. They walk into this tomb. They turn over to the right. And when they look, there's this young man in a white robe. And they are astonished. They are amazed. They are taken aback. Even in verse 8, when the angel left, we see that there was trembling and astonishment. It has seized them. In fact, they were so afraid, they decided to do nothing. But what you do need to understand as we look at all the gospel accounts of this story is that only after meeting with the resurrected Jesus did they, particularly Mary Magdalene, shared with the disciples. Let me give you some verses to help you to understand this. John chapter 20 verse 18 in the ESV says this, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So in this account, in the book of Mark, all these women, they were so astonished, they were so afraid or alarmed, they didn't say anything to anybody. But then when you look into the book of John, you realize that Jesus actually appeared to Mary Magdalene. And from that personal encounter with this resurrected Jesus, we see now she goes forth and she begins to proclaim to the disciples what Jesus told her. Here's another passage in Matthew chapter 28, verse 8. It says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. I don't know if you know that feeling of fear and great joy. Well, let me tell you, how many of you have been on a roller coaster? That is fear and great joy. Why? Because as you're climbing up, that roller coaster, you know what's going to happen. Your stomach is going to drop. So there is this weird fear and anticipation, but as soon as you go down, it's like, ah, you get so excited. Great joy. Some of you are still getting flashbacks, and you're scared. But think about that for a moment. It's a scary, exciting, or a scary excitement. That's what Mary and these women experienced. At first they were alarmed, but then when they met Jesus Christ, we realized that in that fear and great joy, they went and shared the resurrection of Jesus. How about us this morning? When was the last time you were astonished or amazed at what Jesus has done in your life? I'm wondering if some of us have really encountered this resurrected Jesus. Have you? Because you will never be the same. And it will be undeniable, irrefutable, because your life will begin to change. Here's another thing that we see here as we talk about this irrefutable encounter. Not only was there astonishment of Jesus' resurrection, but I want you to know that there was an affirmation of Jesus' word that there was an affirmation of Jesus' word. After the angel made the bold statement that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he is no longer here because he has risen from the dead. In verse 7, there is instruction to go to Galilee because Jesus will be waiting for them there. Now, this is the part I want you to focus in on. Here's a key phrase. Just as he told you. Why is this significant? Because this was the very promise that Jesus gave to the disciples. Where do we see this? We studied this in the previous weeks, In Mark chapter 14, verse 28, it says this, but after I am raised up, this is Jesus speaking, I will go before you to where? Come on, everyone say it. To Galilee. And so what we understand is that whatever Jesus says, And whatever God says in His Word, He will not go back on it. This is the reason why this irrefutable encounter with this living God now, the resurrected Jesus Christ, can transform your life. Because not only will you be left in astonishment, but you'll realize there is an affirmation of the very words that Jesus has spoken to the disciples and in his word if you have a bible in your hand that everything that he said in his word it will come true how do we understand this that god is faithful to his word he will not lie he will not change his mind everything that he's said he will do any promise in the word of god he's going to fulfill Let me direct you to a Bible passage that helps us to understand that. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And on the yellow section, will you all read it together in one voice with me? It says this, God is not man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? This is the reason why when you know the Word of God and the promises that He has given to you, it is a very affirming and a positive, and in fact, it will encourage you when you struggle. When you think about how all these things are happening in your life, you think about school, you think about things at work. Some of you might have just recently received news about someone in your family. Something's going on health-wise. Or maybe some of you have experienced just even death of a loved one not too long ago. Let me just encourage you with this. The Bible tells us that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is a promise that God gives unto us. And if we believe what we just read, that he does not lie, he does not change his mind, then we have to believe that nothing's going to separate us. Do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? Thousands. And thousands of promises that in His Word that He gives to us, His people, because He wants to remind us it is not what we do, but it is what God is doing in your life, in my life, and around the world. How about us this morning as we think about this? Have you encountered Jesus' faithfulness and affirmation through His promises? This was a powerful encounter for these women. And they went off and started telling the other disciples, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. What he has has said, just as he said, it is true. The second point that I want to make is this. Not only can an irrefutable encounter transform our lives, but I want you to see here an irresistible exhortation can transform our lives an irresistible exhortation. That means that you will not be able to resist. That means that it will compel you to move towards that. So the question now becomes, what is that exhortation? What is that encouragement, the reminder that God was giving through Jesus Christ to these people? Now, those of us who actually have a Bible in your hand, whether it's through your phone or an actual Bible, if you read a pretty good translation, one of the things you will realize is that we finish off the book of Mark with verse 8. And then there is this little subtitle, I guess, or subscript, where it says, verses 9 through 20, Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verse 9 through 20. So when you go back to verse 8, you realize that it seems as if the resurrection account was just kind of like really short. It just got cut off there. And scholars have debated whether chapter chapter 16, verse 9 through 20, the latter portion, was part of the original manuscript, or if it was just an attempt to write more things, to end the book of Mark in a way that's consistent with what we see in the other Gospels. Now, the overall conclusion is that some of the best manuscripts, which that simply means the original author. The closer it is to the original author, that means that it's the best manuscript. But when you begin to copy it from another manuscript, from another manuscript, there's more errors. But the original manuscript is what the disciples and the apostles wrote. And so many of these scholars, what they're saying is this, some of the best manuscripts that we still have, more than any other manuscripts of any other great book that you could even think of, which then gives you a little bit more, gives us a little bit more veracity to the truthfulness of this Word of God being passed down. But one of the things that the scholars mention is this, the best manuscripts, closest to when the author actually wrote it. Most of the best manuscripts do not have verse 9 through 20. So we're done. Okay, have a great afternoon because we just finished verse 8. No, because one of the things that you do need to understand is that overall, even though the best manuscripts do not have verse 9 through 20, most scholars believe that these verses were added to the book of Mark But most importantly, listen to this, the content of verses 9 through 20 is found in the other Gospels. Therefore, it did not contradict the overall story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why they still made a little note there so that you could understand scholarly, but yet they still added the verse because what they're simply saying is this, it does not contradict all the other Gospels and how the story ends. So with that in mind, I want to look at verse 9 through 20 because I think there's some incredible things that we can learn from here, especially as we talk about this irresistible exhortation. The story continues with others who have been impacted with their interaction with Jesus. And the exhortation which were given by Jesus is very significant. The things that he said to these people. And then how did they respond and what did they do? So let's go ahead and read verse 9 through 13 and listen to what it says. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast, cast out seven demons, which is true. We see that in different gospel accounts. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, They would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So I want you to carefully understand there are a couple more people who had this encounter, this irrefutable encounter with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see that Mary Magdalene as we look at her life. She was one of the first women, one of the other women who Jesus appeared to first. So I want you to note that that as we talk about this irresistible er, uh, exhortation, I want you to understand that Jesus appears to women first. Women, this is where you could celebrate. Amen. That <laughs> In some some cultures, the men are the ones who are always going first. But I'm telling you right now, when you look at Scripture, it's amazing the honor that it's given to women, especially the life of Jesus, the way He traveled with the women and the other disciples, how they ministered together with love and compassion. And what we see here is that it is consistent with John chapter 20, verse 18 where the other disciples share about what they saw and witnessed. But I want you to note, in verse 11, as we just read, we see that even though Mary Magdalene, she testified to the resurrection of Jesus, what does it say? They would not believe it. Now, this is the part you have to understand, and it's important for you to understand. I might have mentioned this on Friday, but you need to understand this. We have to remember that the witness of women were considered unreliable. That was just a culture back then. And there's some cultures even today that are similar to that. You can look at that and say, oh, they're so backwards. But that was the culture during that time that oftentimes for one man's witness in a court of law, you need about two or three women's testimony that is consistent in order to have the same equal weight. And so I want you to think through this for a moment because the culture said women's testimony or their eyewitness account is unreliable, no wonder these men, these apostles, these disciples, they did not believe her. But I want you to cross-reference to the book of Luke and go ahead and read the yellow section with me again. It says this, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. Can you imagine? They're like, oh, whatever. And they, what? Did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I always thought it was interesting that was Peter who denied Jesus three times that he was one of the first ones to have to witness this for himself. Can it be true that even in the midst of my mistakes and my denial of Jesus three times, that everything that he was saying, that he was going to die and resurrect from the dead, that he's actually alive. So he ran into the tomb to see it for himself because he did not believe the woman's account. So he ran and then he marveled and thought through what is happening. And can I challenge some of us when we talk about the resurrection story? I always use this as a reference. This is where we have to wonder that if you wanted to start something, a revolution or a movement, why would you have women being the first ones to eyewitness the story? Back then in that culture. If you were making up a story and making up a lie, you would probably get one of the Pharisees or some respected people in community to be the first ones to somehow say that they've witnessed something so then they could then be credible with all these other people, and that's how you spread. This is good marketing, if you want to look at it that way. Very good marketing. But bad marketing is to go to women who are not looked upon favorably, and every single time they gave an eyewitness account, it was given with snickering and saying, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. It's idle tales. That's why I challenge people. If you're going to start something that is based on a lie, that he did not resurrect from the dead, the last group of people that you want to first start your business or your startup is with the women. But that's what Jesus did. That's that's some food for thought. Here's another thing that I want you to notice. Jesus not only appeared to the women first, but he appeared to many other people. In verse 12 through 13, as we just read, it summarizes the story of the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Look at Luke chapter 24. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage for us, and I want you to read the yellow section with me. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Let me just give you a little backstory. They, they were talking about everything that was happening, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were chatting, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears, but he was unrecognizable. And he goes, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, have you not heard? Are you new to this town? Like Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was crucified. And that's when it says, then their eyes were what? Open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Powerful. So here are these two people. As they spent time with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, their hearts were burning inside because they realized that he was opening up the scriptures to them. Not only these two people, not only the the women that we talked about, but more and more people started to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 in the New Living Translation. You can read the yellow section with me once again. It says this. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Now, let let me once again try to help you to talk about the validity and even the possibility of the resurrection if you're not a believer. Listen to me carefully. If someone walked through those doors and let's say that they just said, Everyone out! There's a fire at Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Center. I't do think they'll have enough breath to say that, but HKCEC, What would you do? I was going to actually have someone do that just to demonstrate, but I decided we might get in trouble if there's a rampant. So I, I decided, okay, I scared two people or uh, people t- too much. So just think about this for a moment. If someone walked in through that doors and said, "Fire! This building is burning!" The first thing we would do. Like, no? This person is crazy. Now, let me just say this to you. Not only did that person come through, there was another person who came from that door and said, fire! Get out! Get out! You're not going to be like, chill, relax. You're going to be like, huh? Possibly. Then we'll have all the greeters go out and figure out what's going on while we're just kind of, whoa! You know, where we're singing and... The choir was great, amen? <laughs> Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Now, some of you still would be like, eh. But let me ask you, what if 10 other people walked through these doors and one of their hair was all singed? And there was still a little fire coming out of their clothing. And they said, fire. That's when your eyes will open up a little bit. Some of you will start checking your phone. Googling, is there a fire in a Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Center? What is the point? The point is, if there's only one or two, you'd be like, okay, possibly, but I'm not sure. But when we're looking at 500, more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus at the same time, then you have to ask yourself, is this a hallucination? What are they smoking? What are they on? Now, if it was that one person, like, he's on something. The second person, she's on something too. But 500 people all saying, we saw the resurrected Jesus. No, but if they say, we saw the resurrected Jesus, then you have to take into account that all these testimonies, the people who've encountered this Jesus, is it really a lie or is it something that's true? When we look at this story, you realize more and more that these encounters were very powerful, especially as Jesus, the risen Christ, speaking words to these people. I'm going to close with verse 14 and 20 so that we can understand what this irresistible exhortation will do. they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. If they, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Jesus ended up rebuking the disciples because the people who spent the most time with him were the ones who had the most unbelief because of the hardness of their hearts. Even though they've heard the testimonies and the eyewitness accounts that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, they did not believe. I realized as I was thinking about this passage that in many ways it describes many of us in this room. There are things that God is doing and he is trying to show himself to you. He is showing you his heart. He's showing you his purpose for your life. And instead of saying, God, I surrender, I don't know what it is that you're doing, but if you're God, then you got to have to come and intervene. Instead of surrendering and trusting, what we do is we end up hardening our hearts and we will begin to even deny the things that God is doing to get your attention. This is the reason why we need to ask ourselves when we go through anything in life, God, what are you trying to say to me? Lord, why are you getting my attention? You know, sometimes you can live your whole life being a control freak, controlling everything in your life, that you are the God, you are in control of everything. And it's not until your son or daughter goes through teenage years when you cannot control them anymore and you are completely lost because you realize, I cannot do this anymore. It's in the same way, some of you are so talented, you don't need anything or anyone else, you can just do it by yourself. It's easy. You're smart. You're capable. You're talented. So there is no need for God. But here we are, some of us, going through things that are beyond us, things that we cannot completely control, things that are overwhelming us. And what God is trying to do is, He's trying to speak to you to get your attention. That maybe for most of your life, you trusted in yourself and God is trying to teach you for once to learn how to abide in him, to remain in him, to trust in him. So that when you go through some of these things, you will not receive the glory, but it will be God and God alone. See, it completely changes the way you look at situations in life. When you realize that God is the one who's working. What is it that he's trying to show you this morning? How is he getting your attention? Maybe he wants to speak some words into your life through his word. Some promises so you can hold on to. And time and time again, just like these disciples, due to our own stubbornness and our hardness of heart, we live in constant unbelief. But God has the best for us and it will cause our hearts to be filled with joy because when we think about his purposes and living them out, it will always be bigger and greater than what we can imagine for ourselves. This is what I want you to notice in Jesus' exhortation to the disciples. It entailed several things in those last portions of chapter 16. First of all, it's the reach. The global reach, bottom line is that it's bigger than you. Jesus commissions the disciples to go into all the world. It reminds us of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19a, where it says, Therefore go and make disciples of what? Everyone say it. All nations. The reach is global. Some of you have these little petty dreams of small little things. Oh, I want to, I want to do this. But what God is trying to help you to understand as He's speaking some exhortation into your life is that He wants you to think global and it's going to be far reaching than you could ever imagine on your own. It will stretch you, it will cause you to think, what is it that God that you want me to do? You're the God of the universe, you're the God of this planet. That's why stop focusing on yourself because what God is doing, not only in your life and in our church and in Hong Kong and all over the world, it's bigger than you. If you ever want to experience joy and happiness and just a sense of peace is when you're able to live for something that is bigger than yourself. Some of you right now, this morning, the things that you live for is for your little kingdom. This is the reason why as soon as you're like, I'm going to work so hard to get that job. And then you get the job. You get excited for about a month. And then you want something else. Why? Because it is too small. And that's why your heart is still longing and yearning. Oh, if I just got into that relationship. Oh, if I just got married. Or if I just had children. And then you get married. You have children. And there's still this ache and pain in your heart. Because it will not satisfy you. Because that dream is too small. When he gave this exhortation, he was talking about the reach is going to be global. Go into all the world, the whole nations, all over the world. Do you know in Asia right now, 60% of the world's population, is in Asia. Did you also know that in Asia, there's about 48 countries that are represented from the east to the southeast to the south asia to central all the stands and then you go further out west and some of the places in the middle east that's all asia why in the world did god place you here in hong kong almost like a central area of encompassing so many different nations did you know that 99 percent of the world's hindus and buddhists they are right here in asia did you know that some of the folk religions and the shamanism and all these different religions that people worship, majority of them, two-thirds of them are right here in Asia. Some of the unreached people groups, they're right here in Asia. Why did God place you here? It's not so that you could just get good grades and then graduate and get a good job. And some of you are working that somehow you could then get promoted and be a director and feel good about yourself. Because now you could buy more things and show people that how smart you are and what you have done. If that's it, it is too small. That is why your heart keeps on aching. You could win all the awards. You can post it all online to see how great you are, but I'm telling you right now, you will be empty in your heart because those things are too small. Not only the global reach or the reach is global, but I want you to notice here, the reason is for salvation. It's not about you. Not only is it bigger than you, but it's not about you. As the gospel is proclaimed, people will believe, it says here, and they will be baptized. Everything that we do, the exhortation that Jesus is giving to us, it's not for you. It is for the world. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that's why the more you understand that life here is not about you, the more you will be able to experience the joy in your life. Here's the third thing. So not only the reach is global, the reason is for salvation, but the reality is God's kingdom. It's preparing you. Jesus not saying Jesus is not saying that you have to do these things in verse 17 and 18 where's that serpent where's that snake you know am i going to die am i going to that's not what he's trying to say that's called foolishness and stupidity what he's simply saying is that as you trust in him and as you have salvation you don't have to do anything to earn it you don't have to try to prove anything but if god leads you where you're trying to help somebody who's sick, somebody who's struggling, then the reality of the kingdom of God will come. And healing can come in the name of Jesus. Come on, everyone say Jesus. Jesus. It is in the name of Jesus that some of your families are going to get healed. It is in the name of Jesus, some of you. It could be physical, emotional, mental. It could be healed through the power in the name of Jesus. Strongholds, whatever addictions that you have, it can be broken through the name of Jesus and that's why all these things are the irresistible exhortation that could change a person's life God I've been living for myself I've been living for things that are too small and I realize that you're preparing me for something because the kingdom of God is here we have a king we are kingdom citizens and we want to live for him as we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ wherever we go and whatever we do. I love what Thomas Wilson said in the maxims of piety and Christianity. He writes, There are few who have not their idols, which their hearts adore, in which they put their trust and place their happiness. The worst of all is ourselves. This is the plight of this world right now that we see all the craziness, all the madness. It's because people are in the center. That's why, and please, I'm not trying to offend some of you unnecessarily. Listen to me carefully. Like, if you cannot define, like, what a woman is or what a man is, I mean, I understand there's some of you who have different views on this. And if you just look at it biologically and many other angles, it's just, to me, when I think about it, a lot of the awokeness, I know some of us are big on these awoke agendas, but listen to me carefully. Almost every single one of these agendas, guess who's in the center? It's themselves. That's why if you miscall or mislabel something that I want to be called, even though it's completely you talk to any scientist, it's all about you. That's why the problem that we see around the world, you, you, you could take that to every level. Friendship, Good friendships are self-sacrificing. They think about the other person. Marriages, same thing. Your relationship with your boss, they could abuse you in different ways and then you could do other things. I'm telling you right now, almost every single problem in this world can be brought back to self-centeredness. That's why God has to save us from ourselves. And He did by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why... This is simply the gospel, that you and I, we were born with sin. That is part of the depravity of humankind. And you do everything possible to earn your way into the good sides of God. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible tells us even your, the best acts, your righteous acts, are like filthy rags before God. Why? Because he's so holy. A holy God and sinful people, he needs to punish sin. Many of us have broken the shalom, the fellowship with God because of our rebellion and because of our self-centeredness and what we want, our little dreams. And that is the reason why Jesus Christ had to go on the cross and die for your sins and my sins. And when he died, he didn't just die, but on the third day as we celebrate today, it's Easter that he rose again from the dead to prove once and for all the last weapon that Satan had was death. And Jesus Christ conquered death and the grave. That is why he is the victorious king. And we, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior, that is in that moment you are completely giving your allegiance over from living for yourself, allegiance to yourself, allegiance to the world, allegiance to Satan, and now you're crossing over to a new king the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus Christ, when he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven, he's going to come back the second time and he is going to come to judge. The Bible says that he went in as a lamb led to the slaughter. But the Bible also says in Revelation he's going to come back as the Lion of Judah. I pray as you think about your life, if you have been living for yourself, as we think about what Jesus Christ has offered to us, and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's where we have hope. So the one thing, once again, is that we can experience transformation because of Jesus' resurrection. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.